Do you still have confidence that the gospel is the answer to the problems of our generation? I'm convinced more and more that the American church, by and large, has lost their trust that the gospel is enough. Let's talk. In the letter we call 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul talks to the church in the Greek city of Corinth, and in the 10th chapter, he outlines the core issues underlying all of the societal troubles that they found in the city of Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, Paul says, Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. In those verses, Paul identifies the underlying issues of the societal struggles that were taking place 2,000 years ago in the city of Corinth. It is amazingly relevant to where we are today. Let me tell you about Corinth. See if that sounds familiar to where we are in America in 2021. And then I wanna show you from these verses what Paul identifies as the underlying cause for all of that societal turmoil. The city of Corinth was marked in the first century as a city of rampant sexual perversion they were a sexualized society where sex was the driving motivation of almost everything that they did from economics to entertainment uh, to even religion. They were marked by severe racial divisions. They were known for family feuds and they were subject to political tyranny. Not only are those things representative of Corinth, and frankly, they sound very familiar to the America of the 21st century, the people of Corinth also had a love for philosophy, they loved to debate, and they believed that they were the most sophisticated people to have ever lived on planet Earth. In our generation, we have this thing called social media, which is an arena for debate and argument and criticism and attack, and we suffer from the idea that we are the most brilliant generation of humans to ever walk the face of the earth. Anything Paul has to say to the city of Corinth probably has relevance to 21st century America. Now let me point out in these verses that I just read, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. Paul says that we don't wage war with physical weapons because we're not fighting physical enemies. We're fighting what he calls strongholds. Those strongholds are these kinds of things that I've mentioned, sexual perversion and racial division and, and the other things that characterize Corinthian society just like it characterizes American society today. But Paul said, those are the surface level issues. The underlying problem behind all of those issues were two things. First of all, he says they were arguments, what we might translate as clever arguments. 
he matches clever arguments with another phrase, every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. In other words, there are two underlying realities that make society the way it is today. Those two realities are number one, excessive human pride. Now we know from, from the stories of the, of the fall of man that all the way back to the beginning of the story, pride is the essence of sin. It is the spoken or unspoken, the conscious or unconscious desire to be absolutely independent of God. Human pride coupled with clever arguments. That is, society gets to the place that it is because human pridefulness, rejecting their dependence, their accountability before an almighty God, coupled with humans' ability to build so-called logical arguments to justify the behavior that they want, clever arguments and human pride, those underlie everything in a society that creates the problems. Paul says we don't fight the core enemies, human pride and clever arguments. We don't fight those enemies with physical weapons, but rather with spiritual weapons. The Bible identifies our spiritual weapons as these. Truth, love, righteousness, and what, we, what I would call faith prayer or prayer offered in faith to God. Now let me talk to you about that because when we put these together, truth, love, righteousness, and faith prayer, what we have are elements that make up this thing that we call the gospel. Paul went to the city of Corinth and in the first letter to the Corinthians, in chapter 2, verse 2, he said this, I decided, when he went there, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What Paul means by that is not that he was unaware of what was happening in the world around him. He wasn't suggesting that Christians should be uh, disconnected and isolated from the culture. He was saying when he came into the city of Corinth, his determination was that Christ would be the central focus of his thought life because his, he knew his ability to evaluate all of the things that marked the city of Corinth hinged on his ability to know truth, love, righteousness, and faith that he found in the crucified Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the content of the gospel is that Jesus is truth. Jesus expresses the very essence of love. His life puts on display what it means to be righteous, and his relationship with the Father is a model for our lives of faithful praying. Now, what Paul wants us to understand out of these notations in Corinthians is that it is a faulty strategy in our generation for us to think that we can just answer the flawed thinking, the nonsense of our culture by rational debate. 
Now you say, well, isn't truth currents just that, helping us have rational responses? Yes, that's an important part of what we do, but rational discussion and debate of the issues won't solve the issue of our culture because we're debating at the level of those surface manifestations. The gospel, on the other hand, is not simply a counter-argument to the arguments of our culture. Rather, when we add the gospel into the mix, we are introducing an entirely new element into the conversation. Well, how does the gospel address the needs of the world in our generation? Well, let me explain it to you. First of all, the gospel destroys arguments and pride. Let me put it to you this way. We can out-argue our opponents, but even if we succeed in winning arguments, you don't argue somebody into the kingdom of God. Rather, what the gospel does is it undermines the arguments of a secular culture, not by overwhelming them with facts and statistics, but because the gospel sidetracks uh, side the, the debate, the surface level debate, and it reaches into the empty spaces of the soul of the person doing the arguing. In other words, the gospel assaults the heart of a man. And when a man's heart is captured by the gospel, then the emptiness of his prideful arguments shows itself and his commitment to those arguments begins to fall away. The gospel shows us that false ideas leave a vacuum in a man's soul. And so the gospel reaches around the argument into that vacuum. It crucifies the pride that says, I'm sufficient without God, and it fills that vacuum with the very thing that we were created for, a relationship with God. The gospel, first of all, it destroys arguments and pride. Second of all, it captures every thought to obey Christ. That's why when a man comes to Christ through the gospel, what happens is he immediately begins to be transformed. His thoughts, he sees the emptiness of what he always believed, and he begins to see truth with opened eyes, maybe for the very first time, and his thought processes begin to be transformed. The renewing of his mind is being transformed as he's conformed to the image of Jesus. Let me describe it to you this way. Man was created to live what I would call a three-dimensional life. The first dimension is length. That is, there is a period of time, there is a chronology that goes from birth to death. And in that chronology, we have the length of life. Everybody experiences that dimension of life. We all know that we get up in the morning and 24 hours goes by and we get up the next morning and you do that enough days in a row and eventually you die. That's the length dimension of human life. But then there's also the breadth dimension of human life. That is all of those things that we put into our lives to try and, and fill meaning. That is our education, our commitments, our hobbies, our pursuits, our interests, all of those things 
that occupy the time in our days. Now, there are people who confuse that with meaning in life, but the reality is the breadth of life can be very shallow. The, most people live life in two dimensions. There's the length from birth to death, and there's the breadth, which is all of the stuff that we do to fill our time. What the world fails to recognize is what the Bible teaches us, and that is there's actually a third dimension of human life that's often neglected. I would call it the depth of life. If you want to know the characteristics of someone who lives life in length and breadth, but with no depth, no meaning, no groundedness in eternal priorities. Let me give you some characteristics. A person that lives life without depth is a person who is perpetually restless, someone who's easily bored, often distracted, looking for the next thing to just occupy their mind. What happens is people look for new things and, and they pursue new pursuits and they think they're adding depth. All they're doing is adding more breadth. A person without depth is discontented. They are perpetually outraged. They are indifferent to spiritual things. In fact, it's interesting, a person with no depth often has a fear of solitude, a fear of being alone, and yet paradoxically, People without depth often have a fear of crowds, a fear of being around people. The fact of the matter is the gospel speaks to the third dimension of life. I found a poem in an article that I was reading recently, a poem from T.S. Eliot entitled The Rock. There's one stanza of this poem and it says this. T.S. Eliot wrote, All our knowledge brings us nearer to our ignorance. And all our ignorance brings us nearer to death, but nearness to death, no nearer to God. Where is the life we have lost in living? You see, that's a question that a lot of people are asking today. Where's the life that we lost in living? When life is shallow, when it's lived only on the surface, when it lacks depth and richness, the kind of fulfillment that only God can give. That's the life in our generation typically, but that's not the way we were designed. The psalmist in Psalm 47 says in very poetic language that deep cries out to deep. In other words, he's using poetic language to say there is a, an element of depth in the human existence that cries out for the depth of God's existence. That's what it means to be human. And that's the very thing that our culture lacks. And so, because we have no depth, we seek sexual distraction. We seek freedom in perversion. We, we categorize other people by race or gender or pol political affiliation. And we separate ourselves. There is no depth to our lives. The lack of depth is creating the restlessness and frankly the agony of the life that we see around us every day. Here's what you need if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You need to renew your confidence in the gospel because the gospel is the key 
to producing depth in human life. We can argue and we need to be able to argue effectively the issues of our time, but understand that that's not enough by itself. Don't ever settle on arguing for the sake of arguing, for the goal of winning a debate. Have enough courage to share the gospel and let the gospel do an in run around shallow debate to assault the heart of a man so that his emptiness is revealed and deep can cry out to deep. Find somebody that needs to know Jesus and say, okay, for today, we're going to agree to disagree about politics, about pandemics, about everything else that separates us. I want to talk to you about eternity and see if God himself won't just show up in the middle of that conversation. This is Truth Currents.